So tonight, man, it will be another standalone message. Um, Daniel talked about general and special revelation last week out of Psalm 19. I'm going to be honest, college students, I asked him, Coach, how do you want me to follow up with that? And after I did some praying and some discussing, uh, man, I landed on something that, man, God has been teaching me a lot about tonight. And so if you have, if you have, if you have your Bibles, and that's not a tongue twister, if you have your Bibles, man, go ahead and open up to Job chapter 1 with me tonight. Yes, Job chapter 1. It's the book right before Psalms. It's right after Esther. Job chapter 1. And I'm going to kind of set us up tonight. We're going to start reading in verse 6 in a little while. But before we get into the passage, I want to give you the title of our message tonight. And my prayer for tonight is you walk away encouraged. My prayer for tonight is that you walk away with truth of what God can do in your life in the midst of chaos. And so the title of our message tonight is God Controls Your Chaos. College students, I know some of y'all have a lot of things going on in your life. Some of y'all are battling things in your life, hardships, trials, things that you are looking for answers. But the truth I want you to walk away with tonight and the thing that the Lord's been walking me through so much lately is God controls your chaos. And tonight in Job, we're going to learn about a man. Just to set it up, verses 1 through six, one through 5, I'm going to kind of give us a summary. Job is a man and he lived in the country of Uz. And what's so cool about Job is he's described in a very specific way. The Bible describes him as a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he turned away from evil. And man, college students, can we say that about our life? Can we say we turn from evil, we have complete integrity, and that we fear the Lord? And just, and just as you see um, the description of Job in chapter one tonight, and it uses, it describes him as perfect. Just to let y'all know, Job was not perfect. None of us are perfect, but he is a man described with integrity. And Job was a man that feared God, meaning that he took God seriously and he lived to honor him. Job knew his purpose on this earth was to honor God. And that came from a healthy fear of the Lord. He had a reverence. He had a respect for the Lord. Think about it this way. Job acted the same way with his family at home as he did with the people at church. Colossians, do you live that way? Do you live the same way that you live here on Monday nights? But does your life look the same on Tuesday nights? Does it look the same Wednesday at lunchtime? Does it look the same when you're at church and when you're at home. Job's private life and his public life, they matched. Job was the same at home. Job was the same out in public. He was a respected man because of how he lived for the Lord. And Job's story, he set in a period where wealth was determined by the quantity of livestock and servants one owned. And if you read Job chapter one, verses one through five, Job was blessed with a big family. And let me tell you something plenty of livestock. And I'm going to give you all uh, a summary of that. Job had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. So in this time, in the patriarchal period, that's what it was called. Called Job was the man. He, he was rich. He had wealth. He had plenty of things in his possession. And his children, we see in verses 1 through 5, would take turns having banquets in their homes. And in verse 5, we see that Job did something very specific after, after banquets. He, uh, in verse 5, it says, Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, 
having cursed God in their hearts. And my last part, the last part of verse five, my favorite part was this was Job's regular practice. If you have a pen tonight, if you're taking notes tonight in your Bible, I would love for you to underline Job's regular practice. Underline Job's regular practice. Because you see, Colossians, whatever our practice is typically shows what the priorities in our life are. Many of us would agree, that, man, we don't, we don't forget to eat on a daily basis. That is a practice in our life. We don't forget to get dressed. That is something we do each and every day. At least I hope that's something you do each and every day. We have regular practices in our life, and those, deter- those usually show our priorities in our life. And as I was thinking about this, Daniel will appreciate this because this makes me think about a specific basketball player. You know, man, with athletes, with musicians, man, they have to practice to be great. Man, because I heard uh, one of my buddies, Trey, his dad used to tell us this all the time when we were playing basketball for fun. There's a lot of shooters in the world, but there's not a lot of makers in the world. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I promise I'll share other truth um, tonight as well. Um, there's a lot of players in the world, but let me ask you something. The great players. There's a difference between good players and great players, and it comes at the end of the day, the players that practiced intentionally, faithfully, and consistently, those are the ones that separated themselves from the rest of the team. Those are the ones that separated themselves from the rest of the league. And it made me think about this interview. I was watching, I mean, I love basketball. I'm a Carmelo Anthony fan. I'm not going to toot his horn up here. I just enjoy the way he plays the game. But Daniel, he's a Kobe Bryant fan. And I was watching an interview at Mamba. Absolutely. And, man, respect is on the he, Man, he practiced. He worked hard. Kobe is a man that separated himself from the rest of the league. And, man, he's considered one of the greats. No, I will not have the GOAT conversation from stage. But as I was watching this interview, they asked him the question, man, Kobe, why do you wake up so early? And listen to what he said in his interview. If your job is to try to be the best basketball player you can be, to do that, you have to practice. You have to train. You want to train as much as you can, as often as you can. So if you get up at 10 in the morning and you train at 12, you train for two hours, 12 to 2, you have to let your body recover. You get back out there, you train again, you start training at 6, you train from 6 to 8. And now you go home, you shower, you eat dinner, you go to bed, you wake up and do it again. Those are two sessions in one day. Craig, you think, yeah, you think, man, that's a lot of work in one day. Now imagine if you wake up at 3 and you train at 4. Go from 4 to 6, come home, eat breakfast, you relax. Now you're back at it again, 9 to 11, you relax. Now all of a sudden you're back at it again, 2 to 4. You go home, you rest again, you get another snack, but then you're back at it again from seven to nine. Look at how much more training I have done by simply starting at four o'clock. So now you do that as the years go on, the separation that you have with your competitors and your peers just grows larger and larger and larger and larger. By year five or six, it doesn't matter what kind of work they're doing in the summer, they're never going to catch up. So it makes sense to get up and start your day early because you can get more work in. And as I said, the famous, the great basketball player that said that was Kobe Bryant because Kobe knew that it was important to practice because he knew if he practiced regularly, he had the chance to be great. And for us college students, if we practice spiritual disciplines regularly, we can be godly. Let me, hear, let me say that again. If you practice the spiritual disciplines regularly, you can be a godly, not just college student, you can be a godly man or woman each and every day of your life. The question I have to ask us is though, 
do we know the purpose of practicing our spiritual disciplines? Because Job knew his purpose. Kobe knew the purpose of practice. And man, praise God that the Bible answers this question. The Bible will answer the questions that you have. First Timothy 4, 7 tells us, but I have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. Rather, train yourself in godliness. And what's so cool is I actually learned this my first week of seminary, is the Greek word for train right here is the Greek word hymnasia. I hope I said that right. I am not taking Greek yet. That's way, way down the road in my school. But that's where we get our American word gymnastics or gymnasium. So, when, man, when, when Timothy is writing this in 1 Timothy 4, he is telling you, you have to work hard for the purpose of godliness. Like for, I know, I mean, I love my D group. They push me spiritually. They push me physically. That we work hard when we come up to D group. We make sure we have our scripture memorized. We make sure we have our Bible read. Not to just check off a box, but because we want to be more like Jesus. But not only that, when we go to the gym together, man, them, them dudes are, if, if you want to know my D group, come find them afterwards because them, them dudes are dogs. They work hard. They work hard because they know if they put in the work, they will see results. And I'm telling you, if you put in the work of your faith, because if you go on in that, in that verse, man, bodily gain is of some value, but spiritual gain is of the value for the present life and for the life to come. But my D group, they know that it's important of this right here. Because whatever you practice regularly is what you prioritize. And so college students, I'm encouraging you tonight. What you have to do, going back to our title, God controls your chaos. How you prepare is so important. If you are not walking with the Lord, if you are trying to do, if the hard times come. Because, man, I know all of us in here have gone through hard times. And I imagine many of us in here are going through a hard time right now. But the question about that is, what are you doing? What is your response when the hard times come? And another question for that is, how do you prepare? What are you doing to get ready? Because, man, man, the Bible is very clear that God is present before the storm. God is present in the storm. And God will lead you out of the storm. But my question for you tonight is, are you walking with the Lord before the storm? Are you walking with the Lord in the storm? And are you walking with the Lord out of the storm? Because, man... How you look, I'll say this a little later, but I'll go ahead and say it. How you look at a trial in your life will determine how you live through that trial. How you look at a trial in your life will determine how you live through that trial. Do you let your circumstances change your worship? When bad things happen, do you blame God or do you bless God? That's a hard question we're going to have to answer tonight. Because when you answer that question, I guarantee you, because if you blame God for the hard things in your life, it's not going to get easier. But let me tell you something, man. When you bless God, even when it's hard, it's easy to bless God when your life's going the way you want it. But, man, it's hard to bless God when things aren't going the way we want it. And tonight, what we'll see from Job chapter 1 is a man that loses everything but still recognizes who God is and that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And so if I could put my sermon in a sentence, you know, Daniel and I, we love sermons in a sentence, is this right here. Even in the midst of chaos in your life, God is in control of your life. Even in the midst of chaos in your life, God is in control of your life, college students. That's the promise I want you to walk away with tonight. 
is that in chaos, God is still in control. And praise God for that. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to start reading in verse, um, verse I'm sorry, verse 6 um, of Job chapter 1 tonight. And we're going to walk through what happens in Job's life. I'm super excited about this. The Lord has been teaching me so much through this. So let's pray, college students. Heavenly Father, you're good, Lord. God, I thank you for you. God, I thank you for tonight, Lord, just on a Monday night that college students come together. We get to come together each and every week, God. We get to praise your name. God, we get to worship and lift high the name of Jesus, Lord. We get to read your word aloud. We get to worship you through song. We get to worship you through Bible reading. We get to worship you through prayer. And God, Lord, I know that so many of us in here have hard times going on, Lord. Many of us in here may be in a hard time right now, God, but Lord, I pray. From tonight, after we look at Job's life, Lord, how Job responds to hard times, how he responds to trials, how he responds to things that go in his way, Lord, I pray that we would know that you are in control of everything in our life, God, and that you care for us, that you love us, Lord, that you will provide for us, God. So, Lord, I pray for the college student tonight, Lord, that hasn't been at your feet in a while because things haven't been going their way. God, I pray that they would return to you tonight, God. Lord, that they will repent of their sin. Lord, if there's anybody in this room tonight that hasn't repented of their sins, God, I pray that they, I pray that they would talk to somebody about that tonight. Lord, that they would repent of their sins, that they would believe in Jesus and call upon your name, Lord. God, thank you for what we get to do each and every Monday, Lord, and throughout the week, Lord. God, thank you that we get to be here in the city of Memphis. God, would you flip our city upside down for the name of Jesus, God? We love you. It's in your son's precious name. Amen. And look with me at verse, I'll start reading in verse, um, ver, verse 6 out of chapter 1. I'm sorry. Ooh. And God's word says this right here. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? <clears throat> Satan says, from roaming through the earth. Satan answered him and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. College students, number one, out of Job chapter one tonight, we see that God has authority over trials. Number one, God's authority, <coughs> excuse me, God's authority over trials. And as I said, I know many of us in here, we have been or we are going through a hard time in our life. Man, my prayer tonight is that we walk through Job chapter one, and I pray I walk through it compassionately, and I pray I walk through it truthfully, because I know there's hard things that happen in your life. But what I want to share with you tonight is this right here. God knows your trial, God sees your trial, and God provides in your trial. The question, though, is do you believe that God's in control of your chaos, or are you trying to get everything under control yourself? Because tonight, in Chapter one, we're going to see a man that it seems like nothing is going to stop. It, it's probably, it's, this is Job's worst day, I, for, I could say, after we read a little later on in chapter one. It's because in a matter of seconds, it seems like he loses everything. But we know, we get to know and trust that God has authority over the trials. And in verse six, we read that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. 
And what I want to do before we continue any further is we have to get Satan's position straightened out from the beginning. The fact that Satan came before the Lord shows that Satan is no equal to God. And praise God for that. Satan does not have the same authority in your life. Satan does not have the same power in your life. He is not equal to the God you serve. He has to go before the Lord. He bows before the Lord. And college students, if you walk with the Lord, you will walk in freedom, victory, and experience the things that God desires for you. God desires things for you, but you have to walk with him. So many times we inflate Satan's status and importance, thinking of him as the opposite of God. The devil, stop, let me tell you this, stop comparing the devil to God. The devil isn't comparable to our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you know the character of God, you can walk in freedom from the corruption of the devil. Know the character of God so that you can walk in freedom from the corruption of the devil. Because the Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? And the Satan, Satan's answer is straightforward, from roaming through the earth and walking around on it. Satan is roaming around the earth just looking for somebody to attack. Satan, is he has no, and misery loves company. He has nothing better to do than try to bring people away from the Lord. But college students, you learn quickly. I pray that you learn quickly. When you walk away from the Lord, you will never be satisfied. You will never be fulfilled. You will never fill that void in your life when you walk away from the Lord. But on the complete opposite side of that, when you come to the Lord, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, man, you get to be fulfilled, you get satisfied, and you get to have eternal life. And for some of us in the room tonight, we might not have a relationship with Jesus. And man, my team, one of our college leaders, we would love to talk to you about that, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But many of us in the room tonight, we might have a relationship with the Lord, but we haven't, we haven't really been walking with him. We, we've been trying to do things on our own. And college students, I encourage you, if you're in that situation, what would it look like for you to come back and say, God, you have control of my life because he can get your chaos under control. God allows Satan into his presence, but only for his purposes. Therefore, God demands to know what Satan's business was. And we all know that Satan is never up to any good because the goal of Satan's roaming is to bring ruin in your life. The goal of Satan's roaming is to bring ruin in your life. And as I said earlier, all he wants to do is destroy what God has for you. And 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around you like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. College students, if you want to have victory from the pursuit of the devil, you have to be in the presence of God. It's as straightforward as I can say it. If you want to have freedom from the pursuit of the devil, you have to be in the presence of God. And I love James chapter four. Man, if you resist the devil, if you draw near to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Satan must answer to the God of creation. Nothing that happens in your life doesn't pass through God's authority first. Hear me say that, college students. Nothing that happens in your life Go, doesn't go through God first. Nothing that happens in your life doesn't pass through God's authority first. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on. Verse eight, the Lord asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? 
And look at how the Lord describes Job. He says, no one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns from evil. And what's crazy is it was God who brought up Job as somebody for Satan to look at. God brought Job to Satan's attention. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. May we live our life in such a way that we exemplify that to the Lord and other people in our life. A perfect integrity who fears God and turns from evil. And like I said at the beginning, Job was not perfect, but he lived a life of integrity. Colossians, you can't be perfect, but Jesus Christ was your sacrifice. He was and is perfect so that he could die on the cross for your sins. And if you can trust God with your eternal life, why wouldn't you trust God to your day-to-day life? If you trust God with your eternal life, why wouldn't you trust him to your day-to-day life? He knows what's going on. Proverbs 16, 6 says, Iniquity is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. Man, you have a choice. You have a choice every single time. And Proverbs 16, 6 is so clear. If you fear the Lord, you will turn. You can turn from evil. And God knew that Job's faith wasn't superficial or based on his blessings. Our faith must be the same way. Your faith can't be based on what or who you have in your life. Your faith can't be based on a someone or a something. It has to be based on the Savior. And that makes me, that makes me, that brings me to this question. I want y'all to think about the most important thing or person in your life. The most important thing or person in your life. Would your faith be shaken if that was taken away? Would you think differently of God if that was taken away? And if I could level with you, college students, man, I know, like I said, I'll say it multiple times tonight, you have hard things happening in your life. My team, we have hard things happening in our life. There's trials and things that happen in our life that we can't explain. And a hard thing that I've had to walk through with my family, I'm, I'll be vulnerable with you. I'll share just a, this is a beginning part of my testimony is um, a hard thing that I've had to walk through in my life is the fact that I lost my father when I was nine months old. My brother was three years old. I have an older brother and I have a younger sister. And I also have a half sister and we have different fathers. But my br- older brother and my younger sister, our father passed away when we were really young. My brother was three I was nine months old, and my mom was pregnant with my youngest sister. I remember I was born in February 1999. My dad passed away in November 1999. And then my sister, my sweet young sister, um, she was born in February of 2000. I did not forget her birthday. She was born February of 2000. So, And a, a thing that we've had to walk through is that, man, me and my brother, we have little to no memory of him. And take it a step further, my sister, she didn't even get to meet her father. And as a child, as a teenager, I'm now 23 years old. I still, I still have so many questions. So many questions of, God, why did this happen? My father, he passed away with a massive heart, as a, with a massive heart attack at the age of 38 years old. And it's just, it's so cool. I, man, my mom, she tells me all the time, Cody, you look just like your dad. Cody, you look just like your dad. And I, as I got saved, I started to ask more questions. And it's, very, it's always an emotional topic with my mom. 
Because that was her husband. That was the one she loved. And I remember my, my mom, she told me when I was in high school, when I really started to ask questions, she said, Cody, the thing that I could tell you most about your dad is he got it squared away with the Lord and he's in heaven. He, he repented of his sins. He believed in Jesus and he received Christ. He had a moment where he received Christ into his life as his personal Lord and Savior. And out of all of my questions, I do know this. I do know Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And the Bible answers that question. The Bible answers. God answers that question for me. And God can answer any question that you have. And even though I may not know or get to talk to my earthly father, I get to talk to my heavenly father and know my heavenly father more and more every single day. College students, in your hardship, I encourage you to chase after the heart of God. We got to spend two weeks ago with Pastor Sean, and all I heard was pursue the heart of God. Because in pursuing the heart of God, it transforms you. Yeah, I may not get, I don't get to know my father. I don't get to have my father present here. He wasn't at my high school graduation. He won't be at my sister's wedding in, in April. But man, I get to know that he is in heaven and he is rejoicing. He is worshiping the creator God, Elohim God. And in the hardship, I get to know my heavenly father each and every single day. I can know that my faith is built upon Jesus. It's not built upon any other person in my life. It's not built on any sport I like, any activity I like. But my faith, I can know and be encouraged and trust that it is built on Jesus Christ. We can't say that about anything or anybody else. And I want to encourage you, college students, some of you may have broken relationships with your family. And I can't speak, I'm not going to act like I know the hardships of your family, but what I do know is God can redeem your family. If you want any encouragement about family, man, please come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. But also, man, I would love to walk you through the book of Genesis where you see God redeems families. But redemption comes through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And in verse 9, we see Satan's response back to the Lord. Satan asked God, does Joe fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. The devil recognizes that blessings come from the Lord. And Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Praise God for that. The devil's response shows that he believes that Job is described the way he is because of the materials and not because of the maker. Satan shows his cynicism when he's responding to the Lord. And the definition of that is cynicism is believing that people are motivated purely by self-interest. The devil sees it as Job's identity was in what he owns rather than being um, in the one he knows. I'm going to repeat that. The devil saw it as Job's identity was in what he owns rather than being in the one he knows. Satan believes that the Lord would stretch his hand and strike Job and everything he owns. Job would surely curse the Lord to his face. The devil believes that adversity could make Job move from standing in his faith. College students, when hard times come, when adversity comes, 
Do you believe that God has authority in your trial? Let's continue to work through our passage. Look at verse 12 with me. And God's word says this right here. This is the Lord's response to, 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 to Satan. God's word says very well. The Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported. This is what I want y'all to do in your Bibles. Circle verse 14, circle verse 16, circle verse 17, and circle verse 18. Because these are the events that happened in Job's life back to back to back to back. Verse 14 says, A messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 16, he was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 17, that messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported, the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. In verse 18, he was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Number one, we see God's authority in the trial, but number two, we also see God allows the trials. God will allow, and don't, I didn't say cause the trial. God will allow the trial. And verse 12 sums that up. God's response in verse 12 is very well. The Lord told Satan that everything Job owns is in his power. He can do whatever he pleases, but he cannot lay a hand on Job. And then we see the devil leave the Lord's um, presence. Before the devil could get to Job, he had to go through Job's maker. The devil has no authority or power in your life when you are living for Jesus. This divine restriction tells us this wouldn't be a battle between equals. You see, God drew the line where Satan had to stop. God drew the line where Satan had to stop. He maintained authority over the evil one. And in his grace, in God's grace, God limits our trials. But college students, hear me say this. God's goal is to purify and sanctify us in trials, not to take us out. God's goal is to purify you and make you more like Jesus in the trial, not to take you out. How do you look at the trials in your life? And as I said earlier in our introduction, as we started off, the way we look at a trial will determine how we live through a trial. And from what we've read, once what we talked about at the beginning, it seemed like Job had a very comfortable life from what we read. He had a, fam- he had a huge family, he had a huge estate, he had plenty of livestock, probably plenty of land. Job had a comfortable life, but college students, this is what I have to tell you tonight. God is more concerned about your Christ-likeness than he is your comfort. God is more worried about you being like Christ than he is comfortable. But watch this. In the midst of the trial, when you are becoming more like Christ, God is your comfort. Praise God for that. The hard times that you're going through, you're becoming more like Christ. And I'm not saying God doesn't want us to have 
a good life, man. I'm, I'm not going to sit up here and say you get saved and you get everything you want. No, but God wants us to have a godly life. God wants us to honor him and glorify him in our life. And when times get hard, he's our comforter in life. When things aren't going your way, do you try to do it your way or do you go to God and say, help me so I can see your way? Because God's way, I'm telling you, God's control is so much better than your control. But some of us in the room tonight, we just have to let go and say, God, would you control my life? I give, you my, I give my life back to you. I give my chaos to you. Would you bring it? Would you put some order in my life? And think about a time in your life when things got hard, when you were challenged, when you were pushed out of your comfort zone. <clears throat> Many of us have them. Many of us played sports. I'm going to talk about another sports illustration. For me, I think about a time that I got pushed out of my comfort zone or I got a little uncomfortable. Things got a little hard. It was my eighth grade year of basketball. And man, many of us, many of us know um, that Daniel, he got, he had the opportunity. This is how our relationship started. He coached me in middle school basketball and high school basketball, which is crazy. Now we get to preach together. It is, it is mind blowing of what the Lord's done in our friendship. And I'm so thankful for him. Um, and my, I remember my eighth grade year, I was 13 years old. He was 18 years old and I was a power forward in middle school. I could not use my right hand to save my life. I can still barely use it if I'm being honest. I'm not the best basketball player out there, but I'm decent. I can hold my own. Um, but I remember I was a power forward and man, he made us do this triangle drill in basketball. Oh my goodness. We had, we had, a, we had just got the new gym done and things like that. And so our, our, um, our point guards and shooting guards were on one end, all the four, the power forwards and centers were on the other end. And we did this triangle drill where we had to make all these different kinds of layups on the different types of goals. I'll be honest, man, middle school practice, school started at nine. So we were in the gym at 645. Just talked about Kobe waking up early and stuff like that. But as a sixth, seventh, eighth grader, it's tough to get up. I was a 23-year-old, it's tough to get up, if I'm being honest. Um, and man, so I was, I was probably being a little, I'll, I'll take, I'll take a fault for it uh, so many years later now, coach. I was probably being a little lazy in the drill. <laughs> um, and man, I just, I remember it as clear as yesterday. He kept making, Dakota, do it again. I'll do it again. Dakota, do it again. Dakota, do it again. And man, man, for, for people, man, athletes or musicians, you know, when the band conductor or your coach is getting on you, it was one of them practices, practices that seemed like it would never come to an end. I was just ready for the first period to start. And I, I finally did the drill correctly. And I, man, I remember this moment clear as day, man. Coach finally, this is like one of the first times he, we, me and coach have this funny um, word where he like reprimanded me for the first time. He got, he got, into, he got under my skin. He got, he got onto me. And he brought me to the side. He, all, the, all the rest of our guys, they kept going through the drill with the other assistant coach. And Coach Daniel bring me off to the side. And I remember he asked me this such a simple question. And, man, we still talk about it to this day because of the impact that it had on, really on both of our lives. He was learning how to coach and that he, had, he has an impact and a voice in young guys' lives. And for me as an eighth grader, I was learning that, man, I have a role model coming into my life. And he asked me, he said, Dakota, do you know why I'm so hard on you? I come out, I'm gonna be honest, eighth grade Dakota, I'll probably, oh, coach, wow, man, you like me or something? You know, you know eighth grade, you smart off a little bit. Shastra, eighth grade Dakota was a, a little slimmer. I had to lose all this weight to make varsity and stuff like that. Um, so I just sit, eighth grade Dakota just shrug his shoulders. And he, man, coach, he demands eye contact. Even today, if I drop my head, he said, look at me, boy. <laughs> um, 
And man, as, as I can remember as clear as yesterday, man, Coach Daniel, he, and he still does it today. He puts his hand on my shoulder and he encourages me. He says, because you can be something special. And in this moment, I realize, and man, years later, it, it comes back to, man, Coach Daniel, he pushed me out of my comfort zone. He made me go through the hard drills. He made me do the hard things in practice because he wanted me to be the best basketball player I could be. And college students, for some of you tonight, you, don't, you, you, you haven't realized this, and I want you to walk away with this. I want you to realize this tonight. Sometimes God will allow these bad things to happen in your life, these hard things. I should say hard, not bad. Sometimes God will allow these hard things to happen in your life so he can form you, mold you, and make you into the most faithful follower of Christ that you can be. But the question that I just asked a few moments ago is how do you look at the trial in your life? Do you complain about the trial in your life? Or do you cry out to God about the trial in your life? Because there's two different results when you do that. If you complain about the trial, you'll stay in the trial. But if you cry out to God about your trial, he can change it. Because your trial won't change God's character, but God's character can change your circumstance. God can change your circumstance. Your complaining won't change your circumstance. But the question is, are you, how are you looking at it? Are you complaining and staying idle and staying there in your trial? Or are you crying out to God? There are so many. If I could, Daniel preached out Psalm 19 last week. There are so many Psalms that you could go read tonight about man, King David crying out to the Lord. God, you are my rock. God, you are my refuge. God, you are my deliverer. He's those same things for you. But the question is, are you crying out to him or are you complaining? Do you let your circumstance change your praise or do you let your praise to God change your circumstance? God wants you to be the most godly man that you can be, man. God wants you to be the most godly women you can be, ladies. Because, man, Coach just talked about it in our leader meeting, man. What we want to do here at The View, we want to equip you now, absolutely, but we want, you to, we want to prepare you for the life to come. College goes by quick. Hear me say that. These classes are starting in two weeks, a week, or whatever. This semester will be at Christmas before you know it. And that should scare you a little bit. Because there are people in your life, there are people in your college classrooms that are on their way to hell because they don't know Jesus Christ. And listen, hear me, I, man, I sympathize, I, I have compassion, I, I know life is hard. Our team, we know life is hard. College is a struggle. You're trying to figure out what's your job going to be when you graduate. You're trying to figure out, God, am I going to get married? God, my family, God, my relationships, God, my finances. But man, you know what the devil, the devil wants your eyes to be taken off of God and focus on your problem. God, the devil wants you to maximize your problem. But if you would maximize your praise, it would minimize your problem. Your God is bigger than your problems. But how do you respond to him? And I encourage, man, if you are going through something, you don't have to go through it alone. We're not going to talk about it tonight, but we see how Job's friends respond in the beginning in Job chapter 2, how they come around him. They don't say a word. And if you read the rest of Job, when they open their mouths, they didn't do much helping. 
But they, they didn't say a word, and they just patted him on the shoulder, and they were present for his problem. College students, if you need somebody to help you, if you have something going on and you need help, come talk to our college team. That's what we're here for. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to help you fall madly in love with Jesus. Would you praise God in the problem? Would you be reminded of how big God is and you'll see how small your problem can be made? I promise you that. Let me get back to my notes. John 16, 33 says this. This is Jesus's words right here. I have told you these things so that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. And Jesus warns us, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Praise God that Jesus has conquered the world and that we can have peace in Jesus Christ. And for verse 13 and 14, it shows us the start for um, for, for the chaos in Job's life. This shows us that Satan was focused on maximizing his advantage. If he were allowed to attack Job, he would do it in the most effective way possible, all the way up to what God will allow. Therefore, any foothold we give to Satan is dangerous. Satan will take advantage of anything that you give him. Don't give him an advantage. We should expect that he will maximize any advantage given to him. And we see a messenger reported that while the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword. Verse 16, when another servant was speaking, another one came and reported to Job. Verse 17, that messenger was still speaking. And another one came and reported in the last messenger. And this is where Job, he, he, saw, he heard and was seeing his life start the things in his life start to crumble. In verse 18, we see Job's, and son, um, Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking, and suddenly a powerful wind swept over the house, and this wind caused the house to collapse and took his children. In what seems of a matter of seconds, Job's material wealth was taken away from him. What is your first response in the middle of trials? Look with me in our final few verses tonight because we get to see Job's response. And man, he sets the example for how we, how we can respond to trials. God's word says, then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship, saying, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Lastly, college student, we see Job's awareness of trials. We see Job had awareness of trials. Job's life had been shaken up and it seems like he couldn't catch a break. And look at his immediate response. Stood up, he tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and he worshiped. Job knew where to turn when everything fell apart. And later in the book, it seems that he moves far from these words of worship. Yet it is important to remember that a person's first reaction is often very telling and reveals what really dominates the heart. You see, Job's materials didn't dominate his heart. 
He knew, man, you see it in his response. He knew how he came into this world. Naked he came from his mother's womb. And he knew naked he would leave this life. But the most important thing, Job recognized that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Psalm 139, 13 says this right here. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And then Psalm 139, 15 and 16 says, my bones were not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Colossians, that psalm is saying before you came into this life, before you breathed your first breath, God knew every single day, every single part of your day, every single thing that was going to happen in your day. We enter the world naked with nothing, and the only way we don't go to the grave naked is if someone else dresses us for it. The point is we won't take anything with us. In the middle of losing his children and property, Job confessed everything that he had was from the Lord. Therefore, God had the right to take it away. It is easy to worship when life is smooth. But when life gets hard, that is when we show what we really believe and who we really love. Job in this moment blesses the name of the Lord. And we see that the Bible says that the Lord did not sin or blame God for anything. And what's crazy is in the very next chapter, we see Job respond to his wife in regards of everything that has happened. Because remember, Job was married. And so not only was Job going through something, but his wife, it it just experienced the same things. And look at what Job's wife said to him. In verse 9, it says, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job's wife said that to him in the midst of everything that's happening. But look at Job's response. If you, if you want to talk about, man, just coming through adversity, holding on to God's word, believing in how to respond, believing in what God's word says about responding to trials. Job 2.10, look at what Job says. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Colossians, that's a humbling question. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Job was aware of God's authority. And when I talk about God's authority, God's authority over the trial, but God's authority in Job's life as well. Job knew the character of God. And that's what allowed him to have awareness of the proper awareness of his trial. And Job recognizes something so important that the Lord gives. The Lord gives. And Colossians, the Lord gives to you. And the Lord can take away as well. But the question that I have for you tonight as we wrap up tonight, do you recognize that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Do you bless the Lord when the hard times come or do you blame the Lord when the hard times come? Because one is acceptable, one is unacceptable. If you bless the Lord in the hard times, you will have the opportunity to have a joyful heart in the hard times. 
We talk about it all the time. Daniel and I from stage, our team, Delaney and Goose, you've heard from them on stage before and other college students. Happiness is a mood. I could say something that could change your whole mood for the rest of the day, and I hope I never do. Happiness is a mood, but joy is a characteristic, and joy isn't based on your circumstance. Joy is based on Christ. And for some of us in this room tonight, we, may, we don't understand that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away because we haven't come to a relate to know him as our personal Lord and Savior. As I prayed at the very beginning of tonight, man, how sweet would it be for you to give your life to Jesus, to give your chaos to Jesus? Your problem is not bigger than the God that loves you and that created you. 